Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. God used the rubber bell to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the temple. Uh, it would be worthless to have a temple and no worship. So approximately 60 years after the completion of the temple, Ezra, who was a priest and a scribe, led the second group back to Jerusalem. Ezra's mission and ministry was to instruct the people in the ways of God, in the ways of worship. The people have gotten off track from worshiping God because they were in Babylonian captivity and they were worshiping false gods. And Ezra's ministry was to teach the people to worship. Because contrary to popular church culture, saints, listen, there is an acceptable way to worship God. And there's an unacceptable way to worship God. They that worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. So God used Ezra to rebuild the people. So we have a temple. And now we have worship. But the walls are still torn down, which makes them vulnerable. So the third and final contingency going back is 445 B.C. This group is led by Nehemiah, and he's coming back to rebuild the walls. God used Zechariah to build the temple, Ezra to rebuild the people, Nehemiah to rebuild the walls. Listen, if you don't know anything about the Old Testament, you need to know those three things. God used Zechariah to rebuild the temple, Ezra, the people, Nehemiah, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. The book divides itself nicely into two sections. Chapters 1 through 6 are the reconstructing of the walls. Chapters 7 through 13, the reconstructing of the people. Very easy. Now, why did God choose Nehemiah? Number one, I told you, Nehemiah was a man of burden. Did you get that? As soon as Nehemiah had heard the condition of the people and the condition of the city of God, the Bible says, you know, saints, it's good to just read the Bible and read it slow. Notice in verse four, so it was when I heard these words that I sat down. In other words, The words that he heard affected his soul in such a profound way that he couldn't even stand up. The news was so overwhelming. It was emotional overload. He wept and he was burdened. And can I tell you something? When God wants to use a man or a woman, it will always start with a burden. Nehemiah sees these men, maybe in the hall of the citadel, and it was Nehemiah who asked how things are going. They didn't approach Nehemiah and say, let me tell you what's going on in Jerusalem. 
Nehemiah cared and he was burdened and he asked about his people. Now, here's ministry 101. If you want God to use you, you got to care. You got to care. And let me just kind of throw this in the mix. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Because some of us know so much about the Bible, we can quote the scripture, but if you really know your Bible, then why don't you care enough to serve and to build people up? Because the truth be told, the walls are broken down in the church. Somebody say amen. And the gates are burned in the church. You could say amen right there too. And people are broken and people are hurting in the church. And we need to care and we need to seek to build, build people up. Isn't that what the Bible tells us to do? In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, I have that for you on the screen. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual do what, saints? Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. You who are spiritual, restore such a one, not reveal such a one. Brother, did you hear about what happened? We got to pray. Not remind such a one, not rebuke such a one, but restore such a one. This word restore means in the Greek language, if you've been here at Calvary, you know this. This word restore means to mend broken bones. We should be spiritual doctors mending broken bones. You know, and that's one thing I, I love about the ministry of one step here at Calvary Chapel. We have a recovery ministry here. And uh, Kevin, are you, are you here somewhere? Where are you at, Kevin? What you doing sitting over there when you normally sit over here? <laughs> you got me looking over here for you and you're over there. Stand up and let us say hi to you. Y'all say hi to Kevin. Some of y'all didn't speak. Kevin, let's try it again. They didn't hear me. Say hi to Kevin. <laughs> and Kevin O'Brien oversees our ministry of One Step, and it's a recovery ministry. And, and, and you, know, it, it, you know, Kevin, I was thinking about this as I was writing. I was thinking about you, and I was thinking about the ministry, and I was thinking, you know, the Bible says restore such a one, and and in the Greek word means, you know, the mend the broken bones. And I thought of the ministry of one step. And I thought, you know, the ministry of one step is a ministry of menders. You. And people who serve with you. You guys are menders. You ever thought of that? You're menders. Because people are broken. Every Thursday at 7 o'clock. See, I'm giving you a good plug right now. Every Thursday at 7 o'clock. You can thank me later or give me $10. And uh, go buy me a salad. Yeah, you're menders. You guys are mending people. And, and you know what? Interesting enough, too, some of the people who come to that ministry do not attend Calvary Chapel. So it's not about our church. It's not about us four no more. We can't be a church like that. Where it's about us four, no more. You know, we got ministries for us. What about ministry to the world? Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples. What about that? And I think it's a wonderful thing. 
mending broken bones, not rebuking, but restoring, not trying to sin sniff, not trying to be gospel gestapos, not trying to be God's little God squad running around with your sinometer ready to discover and detect every wrongdoing and sin in the church. No. You're to be mender of broken bones instead of talking about what the church is not doing. Why not roll up your sleeves and hack up your pants and get down on your knees and weep for the church and pray for the church? While, and while you're down there, listen, ask the Lord, what can you do to restore? I'm going to wait while you clap your hands there. And while you're down there, ask God what you can do to restore the broken walls and the lives of people right around you. Nehemiah cared, and he asked how things were going. He had a burden. I don't know why I want to read this, but I want to read this. I love this. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, was one of the greatest personalities of the 18th century. And late on a hot July night in 1865, he burst into his home. He had just been walking through some of the poorest streets of London, looking at the horror of the Victorian era. And he cried out to his wife. He said, Catherine, darling, I have found my destiny. He had a burden. God begins with a burden. Serving God and being used by God starts with a burden. Number two, Nehemiah was a man of prayer. Not only was he burdened, and a burden was on Nehemiah's heart, but it was, he was also a man of prayer. Nehemiah put that burden into the articulation of the language of heaven. That's just a fancy way of saying he prayed. The articulation of the language of heaven. Y'all like that? Write it down. I'm going to tweet that. <laughs> the articulation of the language of heaven. In other words, he prayed. And I love that about Nehemiah because he was a man of prayer. You'll see that throughout the book as we move through the book. Nehemiah was a man of prayer, sometimes short prayers, yet praying. I think of Chuck Smith who said, you, you can't do much until you've prayed, but there's nothing you can't do after you've prayed. Don't you love that? I love that. And let me tell you two things that are essential. Essential. You can't do without for leadership. Number one, prayer. And number two, Vision. Nehemiah was a man of prayer, but Nehemiah was also a man of vision. When God is going to do something, he starts with a vision. The book of Nehemiah is a book of vision. Proverbs 29, 18, without vision, the people, what saints? Perish, you know that. Vision provides the push through the problem. Vision provides the energy for the effort. Without vision, our passion leaks and our production falls and people scatter. So if you're going to be a leader, you need vision and you need prayer. It's there. You have a burden. First, you've got a burden. And then you've got vision. And then there's a time of prayer preparation. As God saw the need in heaven, but little would be done until the right man also felt the need on earth. Then the man sees the need in vision, and then the man puts the need to prayer. And many believe that Nehemiah prayed for four months. Now, in verses 5 through 10, we read Nehemiah's prayer. And I told you that it's the first of 12 prayers recorded in Nehemiah. And in this prayer, 
Nehemiah confesses his sin. He doesn't begin his prayer with the people have sinned. He doesn't confess someone else's sin. He doesn't say, Lord, forgive them for they have sinned. He says, Lord, did y'all get that? We have sinned. You see, a truly great leader will say, Lord, we have sinned. A truly great leader will identify himself with his brothers and sisters, not just in their victories, but also in their setbacks. Not just in their glories, but also in their difficulties and their problems. Notice in verse 6 in your Bibles, both my father's house and I have sinned. A few things quickly we can learn from Nehemiah's prayer. First of all, Nehemiah has a good understanding of how to approach God. When you come to the Lord, you come on the basis of covenant. Did you hear me? You come on the basis of covenant. You don't come on the basis of your own righteousness. You come on the basis of the blood of Jesus Christ. You come on the basis of God who keeps covenant, the covenant-keeping character of God. Something else we can learn from Nehemiah about his prayer is that he started his prayer quickly. He didn't wait or use prayer as last resort. Prayer is where you begin. Can somebody say a better amen than that? Nehemiah acknowledged, number three, the sovereignty of God. Number four, I'm going to blow through these. Nehemiah prayed an inclusive prayer. He used the words we instead of I or them. He identified with his people. Number five, Nehemiah considered the will of God and the promise of God, and he believed that blessings came by being a part of God's plan. Number six, the prayer and the fasting lasted for days. Number seven, Nehemiah prayed that God would help him when he went before the king. So Nehemiah is a man of burden, a man of prayer, and he's a man of action, finally. Our last and final point. Nehemiah wasn't just a man of burden and then do nothing or even a man who would get down on his knees and then get up and do nothing. Nehemiah was a man of action. Nehemiah is broken over the city in ruins. Keep in mind, Nehemiah has never seen the city of Jerusalem. He was born in captivity. Are you listening? Nehemiah was a patriot. I wrote that word. Patriot. And I thought, that's not a word you hear very often anymore. Patriot. Wow. In our country, we have lost our patriotism. That's why you don't hear that word too much anymore. Think about it. When's the last time you heard that word used in the same sentence of the United States? Instead... We have people burning the flag, people doing horrible, despicable, ungodly things with the flag and calling it free speech and calling it art. I'm a patriot. I spent 13 years in the Navy. And honestly, I got out because God called me to get out. I, I, I honestly would not have got I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. I wouldn't have got out. God called me to get out. 
And then God called me to come here. So I guess it was a good swap out. It was a good swap out. And, uh, but I love it. And I, yeah, I'm a patriot. And, you know, I, I, you know and people don't know what it means. And I don't want you to be ignorant. So I actually took the time to look this word up for you. Uh, in Webster's Dictionary, this word patriotism means a love for or a devotion to one's country. Simple. A love for or a devotion to one's country. I love the United States. With all the problems, I'm going to wait while you clap your hands. And listen, I'm going to tell you something right now. <laughs> listen to me. I'm trying to help you. You got a problem with this country, I invite you. Take a trip. Take a trip. Take a trip almost anywhere outside the U.S. and you will find, honestly, it ain't that bad. You will get off that plane and you will kiss the tarmac. I guarantee you. Yeah, I said it, guarantee you. Yes, you will. I'm a patriot, absolutely. I love this country. All of its problems, all of its situations, all of its conspiracies. That's a whole nother story. But you know what? Hey, this is where God has me. Bloom where you plant it. Oh, you need to write that down. <laughs> yes, you do. Nehemiah was a patriot. Having never seen Jerusalem, and yet Jerusalem was in his heart. Like Jerusalem is in the heart of every Jew. Talk to him. I believe Jerusalem is in the heart of every Christian. The Jewish people would say in their farewell to you. Anybody know what they would say? You got it next year in Jerusalem. They'll see you. You know, if you went with us, you know, last time. We're going again. And, uh, oh, man, y'all got to go. You just got to go. There's no way to explain to you accurately and, and, and help you to really get the sense. Are you listening? Of what it is to be in that country. It's amazing. Who's been there? Who's been there? Quite a few of you. Am I right about it? I know it. It's amazing. It's Awesome, 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 crazy awesome, crazy awesome. It's amazing. You got to go. 2013, I ran into a lady after second. I don't know if I told third service. I think I told the people in third service last Sunday. I, I, I saw this, this old couple, and I think it was the son, and he might have been 60 or 70. And the mom, she had to be way upwards 80. And... And the daughter-in-law, they, they come to church here. I, I honestly, that blows me away by itself. I mean, we are like two generations apart. We have like nothing in common whatsoever. Except, that's enough. So I saw them walking across the parking lot. And I said, I'm going to go say hi to these people. I'm running them down. They probably think I'm kind of I don't think I'm on something. And so, I mean, I ran them down. Hey, hey, hey. You're, you're, 
you would have thought I thought they were like the like 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 the only people that ever come here or whatever. <laughs> I was like running them down the parking like, hey, hey, hi. You know, I'm like, hey, nice to meet you. And I just want to say hi to you and thank you for coming. And I'm just really blessed by their attendance because who would think that, you know, someone 84 years old, 80 plus years old would love the worship here. I would think she'd think it was too loud. And she had white hair and she just, you know, just getting by, getting there and yeah, d- different generation and different cultural bringing up. That's why I always tell you that families are formed at the cross. And it doesn't matter who you are. And, and what? What? I'm, what? I'm a black kid from the streets of Philadelphia. Uh, grew up on drugs and city kid. And, and this lady? Here, how, why would I know her? Why would I want to know her? Why would she want to know me? If it wasn't for Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? And she says, uh, she goes, oh, they said, oh, all, all three of them, they said, oh, we just cannot wait for January because we're going to Israel with you. And I said, that's great. I was like so excited and thinking, you know, how we got a plan because, you know, we have go places and places she may not be able to get up to, you know what I mean? But we'll work it out somehow. If I got to have Ron Carrier, we'll, I mean, Ron, pick up. Look how nice that is. Put her down right there. You just gotta go. (laughs) You gotta go. You just gotta go. You gotta go. And if you don't go, pray. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Psalm 22 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. You know, I believe God's going to do something real special on this trip. Don't know what. Just really feel that in my spirit. So, so Nehemiah heard of the problem in Jerusalem. He was distressed. He, he analyzed it and scrutinized the problem. And he, he felt the great burden in his heart. He wept. He mourned. He fasted. He prayed. And then he got up. And in the midst of his grief and self-pity, he took action. And he did something. And let me just say right here, when God wants the work to be done, he looks for people who are willing to do it. He's not looking for complainers or whiners or criticizers or armchair quarterbacks, woulda, shoulda, coulda. God's looking for people who are willing to give up their comfort and give up their thing and get busy about his thing. Can somebody clap your hands and say amen? Could you do that? Get busy about his thing. Nehemiah made himself available to the Lord to get the job done and become part of the solution. And not to add to the problem, God's looking for people who not make excuses why they can't. If anybody could have made excuses why they couldn't, it would have been Nehemiah. He was a cupbearer. We'll get to it in a minute. What did he know? He could have said, hey, this job needs engineers building the walls. This job needs stonemasons. This job needs construction managers, someone who can oversee large projects. You know, I said this before. God is looking for available people, not qualified people. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. He could have said, I can't do anything. If there's one thing I've learned, listen, in my 30 years of walking with the Lord, I've learned this. 
the insignificant and the insufficient become significant and sufficient in the hands of God. It's true. Dust is insignificant, but in the hands of the creator, it became a man. A staff in the hands of a man is insignificant, but in Moses' hand, it was a tool for a miracle before Pharaoh. The jawbone of a donkey is insignificant to fight a battle, but in Samson's hand, it became a weapon of mass destruction. A stone is insignificant, but guided by the Lord becomes a guided missile with pinpoint accuracy to the head of Goliath. My life was insignificant, but in the hands of God, it's significant and usable. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccary.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.